0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time
1: time
2: for Taiwan This Week.
1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening. And on the telephone by Taipei-based freelance journalist Ralph Jennings. Hi, Gavin. Tonight we'll be discussing the expulsion of two Chinese journalists. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs is anticipating Taiwan will be left off a list of countries exempted from the European Union's coronavirus travel ban. Taiwan and Somaliland signing an agreement to establish representative offices in each other's territories. The first cruise ship since February to dock in Jilung as it readies for domestic cruises. News that police officers will be issued with taser guns as part of an equipment upgrade program and a new arrival at the Taipei Zoo as giant Panda Yuan Yuen, gave birth to her second cub. But we'll begin with President Tsai ing on Tuesday expressing her dismay over Beijing's passage of a national security law for Hong Kong and she told reporters that the move means China has broken its pledge to the territory and Failed to let it maintain a higher degree of autonomy for at least 50 years since the handover from Britain. Tsai also said that Beijing's broken promise was proof that China's one country, two systems formula is not feasible in Taiwan. And the President went on to pledge to help Hong Kong citizens with the opening of the Taiwan Hong Kong Services and Exchanges Office. Now, that office began operations on Wednesday and has been established to help Hong Kong citizens who wish to study, do business in, make investments in, or seek asylum here in Taiwan. Meanwhile, KMT chairman Johnny Jung told reporters when asked about the national security law that Beijing, should respect Hong Kong's legal autonomy and characteristics. And he went on to say that autonomy for the territory's residents should not be sacrificed for political reasons. And Zheng added that the KMT does not accept the one country, two systems model that China has proposed for Taiwan. However, the KMT chairman went on to say that he also doesn't believe that Taiwan will be the next Hong Kong. And he stressed that the Republic of China is an independent and sovereign nation. Meanwhile, DPP's Deputy Secretary General Lin Fei-Fan is warning Taiwanese city Citizens to exercise caution if they visit Hong Kong following the introduction of the national security law. And according to Lin, he hopes Taiwanese people travelling to the territory will be mindful of their safety because it affects not only Hong Kongers, but also people in Taiwan and countries around the world. So, Ross, of course, a warning there from Lin Fei Fan, dismay by President Tsai Ing-wen, and a bit of an objection by Johnny Jung. Seems like all
2: these talking points are repeated uh, or based on what other leaders around the world are saying. So, not much news. For you know, as far as content here, right? Uh, uh, U.S. government is saying the same thing. U.K. government saying the same thing. Uh, this week, the Australian government is sa- saying the same thing. And all these governments, including Taiwan, have been saying this ever since uh, a little over a year ago when the... Uh, debates, which became protests over the extradition bill commenced in Hong Kong, so now it's moved on to this national security law. Ultimately, it remains to be seen what all these governments are going to substantively do. Obviously, the U.S. has taken some action to restrict trade. There's legislation that will allow for sanctions against Chinese officials. There's already legislation that would allow for sanctions against Hong Kong officials engaged in acts of human rights violations or restricting Hong Kong's autonomy. Et cetera, et cetera. None of this, though, will cause the central government in Beijing or the uh, special administrative region government in Hong Kong to change the law or or change how they implement the law.
0: Yeah, I would tend to side with Ross on that one. Like A lot of laws that come out of China are just there for use, as the Chinese see fit. They could decide to implement it every day throughout the day or, you know, never at all if they think there's some other means that they want to use. It'll depend on how much protesting goes on. For the Taiwanese, um, I suppose if the activists go over there and they start causing uh, what Beijing considers to be trouble for them, then they could be subject to the law. And I assume that's what Li Senfan is, is referring to. Uh, otherwise, they um, probably won't encounter any any safety uh, or other other risks that uh, Li is referring to.
1: But Ross, of course, is apparently if, if you if you if you're in Taiwan, you say something about Hong Kong and you travel to Hong Kong six months later, there is still a possibility you could get nabbed.
2: Well, there there is this article of the law. It's gotten some attention uh, around the world, but uh, there's probably, as Ralph Ralph mentioned that there, there's probably lots of sections of Chinese law that, that could be applied this way. I mean, for, for example, Gavin, if, if I'm sure somewhere buried in some law in China, if today you said nasty things about Xi Jinping on the air, if you were to set foot in China, there's probably some criminal charge that they could bring against you. So uh, look, if if you're going to engage in, in uh, work on behalf of Hong Kong uh, advocating for Hong Kong independence for example sending money to uh, protesters in Hong Kong which is something people in Taiwan have generously done uh, then those protesters are engaged in activity that is deemed illegal under this law or even under previous laws uh, you know there have been acts of violence that protesters have engaged in as well so if you're providing financial support I mean it, it, it might be distasteful to people outside of Hong Kong but the logic is understandable, right? So if, if the Hong Kong government or the Chinese government saying a certain type of behavior is illegal and if you're, you're participating it, in it, or funding it, no matter where you are, uh, if we get our hands on you, we'll we'll prosecute you. Obviously, if you're going to engage in this kind of work, whether you were promoting democracy or minority rights, uh, environmental protection in China uh, from outside of China, or now you're going to do that with regard to Hong Kong from outside Hong Kong, uh, look, it violates their laws, and uh, they, they would be very happy to arrest you should they be able to get their hands on you. That, that, I don't think this should really surprise anyone.
0: Yeah, I would Um, follow up on that by noting that um taiwanese citizens have been caught um by the 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 chinese i don't know if they've been apprehended in hong kong but um there's this guy who's still doing his five-year sentence in china somewhere he was caught in macau as best we can tell um this was back in 2017 and there, there were another couple of cases like that there was a a gentleman, who was uh, like a volunteer for Pingdong, some uh, town in Pingdong County, who got picked up at the border. I think Shenzhen, Shenzhen-Hong Kong border on the Shenzhen side, and um, they use their, uh, national security laws and whatever else they can pull out. So as Ross was saying, these laws are there already. You got another one fine, you know. And I, I wonder sometimes if the new laws are aimed more at the foreign governments to, to tease the Australians and the Americans and so on to say things. And then China can turn around and say, huh, you know, we got our laws, so um, say whatever you want.
2: Uh, Well, this is clearly aimed at uh, NGOs, talking heads like like us, uh, dissidents, people who've left China, who've been uh, doing work or speaking uh, advocacy on behalf of uh, Hong Kong over the past year. Uh, In the past for... Taiwan, and, and uh, more recently, uh, people from other parts of the world who were doing this kind of stuff, broadly speaking, and traveling to Hong Kong, the Hong Kong uh, immigration would have stopped them at the airport and put them back on a plane. So there are lots of examples uh, of DPP legislators or other people associated with the DPP or NGOs, New Power Party, who tried to visit Hong Kong for various purposes and were stopped at the airport. Uh I I would just politely suggest to those people that if you're going to engage in this kind of advocacy, it's part of your work as a politician or NGO uh, activist, that obviously you don't get on a plane to Hong Kong or to China.
1: And moving on, Taiwan this week revoked the credentials of two reporters from China's Southeast television station and ordered them to leave the country. Now, the Mainland Affairs Council says their expulsion comes amid an investigation into allegations that several Chinese media outlets have set up studios and are producing political talk shows here in Taiwan. And according to Council Deputy Minister Chou Chueh Chung, the investigation was opened after local media reports here alleged that several Chinese broadcasters had established these studios in Taipei. Now, the Council Deputy Minister said that his office has been monitoring Chinese reporters based here in Taiwan and it says that it maintains Close contact with the Ministry of Culture to deal with Chinese journalists in accordance with regulations if they're involved in any violations of their visas or basically entry permits, and he went on to say that Chinese media workers involved in the production of television news programming here are in fact in violation of those regulations and can legally have their journalist credentials and entry permits revoked. Now, Chinese reporters, of course, were allowed to come to Taiwan for the first time in 2000. So, Ralph, two Chinese reporters from China's southeast television being ordered to leave the country...
0: Yeah, I wonder what they were going to say on the talk shows. That's, I guess they didn't. They didn't get that far. They were um, simply setting things up. But um, I suppose there's some suspicion that um, even if they had followed laws and if they were able to do it, then they would say use Taipei as a base to say things that um, are, are go against the government here, more toward the government in Beijing. So I imagine that's an uh, underlying concern. The other thing that comes to mind is whether China will take some sort of reciprocal action by asking Taiwanese reporters to leave is a, a large number of Taiwanese who are stationed in Beijing. They cover the uh whole tai the Taiwan affairs office news conferences there among other things that are of interest to the taiwanese so um and of course, China has a long history of you know punitive reciprocal action against all sorts of foreign offshore governments and businesses and so forth that that don't do what they want so i I would race for that outcome.
2: Well the, the whole incident is is a little peculiar uh, well first of all we, we support uh, freedom of speech uh, and I assume that even includes you Gavin being a, a media personality yourself uh, d- uh, it's not a secret. If they're going on TV and saying whatever nonsense they want to, they want to say as far as uh, the relationship between China and Taiwan. If they want to criticize the, the administration or President Tsai, there's a whole bunch of other Taiwanese people who are doing that on other TV shows anyway. But the peculiar part is they have permission to be in Taiwan, uh, so they follow the rules to obtain their uh, media credential. Uh, the rules that apply to journalists from China, if If they sit in a studio or they sit in a virtual studio, right, using a a green screen with a digital backdrop that says they're in Taipei, uh, why why are we so worried about this? Since the journalists were already allowed to be uh, based in Taiwan and they fulfilled the requirements to obtain uh, the requisite uh, credential to legally be based in Taiwan for a fixed period of time, Uh, so... What, what are we worried about in fact Ralph I'll throw that over to you I mean you're're you're, you're the journalist you've worked uh, on both sides of, of the Taiwan Strait well, what is the government so worried about if, if a journalist uh you know, he goes through Skype or some other video conference mm-hmm. software to join a, a talk show. I mean, I I've done that. I've done that from home. I I, I, right. I, I as a guest, not as a reporter, but I, I've gone on Chinese um, uh, TV shows from my home. I didn't use a backdrop uh, from my home, but I've gone to TV studios where where there was a green screen and they put a image of Taipei one hundred one behind me, and I joined a Chinese talk show.
0: I don't think they are that worried about it. You know, to be honest, like, you know, they could the the content of the show would be open to anybody who wants to watch it. Uh, the reporters are here anyway. If they use a talk show or they use a a written news report or they use some other format to broadcast and write what they find, then it's all out in the open and the Taiwanese government can see it like anybody else can. I think it may just be a case of revenge. How, how often does Taiwan have a chance to stick it to China? It's, it's it's a the smaller player in the in the relationship, and China's done all sorts of things in terms of you know, economic um, the tourism and economic um, measures taken against Taiwan. The, the the military planes that fly through the edge of the ADIZ It's just all these things that we know about. So here's a chance for Taiwan to use um, a, a gap in its law. Apparently, these reporters didn't follow the law, so here we go. It's an easy way to get rid of them um that's probably all there is to it
1: do you think ross I mean, do you think Ross? local correspondence clubs local correspondence groups and foreign and local front local journalist groups could be could oppose this move and or complain about it or do you think they're because they're from china these reporters it'll just get swept under the carpet
2: yeah that that's a good question because it came up a lot in hong kong um over the past year with the protests there and uh Uh, There were incidents where protesters uh, used a bit of self-help, that's a nice way of saying they got a little rough, with Chinese uh, uh, correspondents for Chinese media or pro-government Hong Kong media, and you could see that uh, organizations that support press freedom or or journalists trade unions uh, struggle with that because, you know, look... Nobody really likes those media outlets. They're they're just the state media. Uh, they're not uh, usually very supportive of the values that we we normally support. Uh, but you do have to be consistent; um, otherwise, you, you run the risk of being accused of hypocrisy. So the, they'll struggle with that. You know, organizations that support media freedom, um, the, the the trying to strike this balance between uh, normal media reporting activity again i'm going to take the view that uh, joining a, a a tv show from china really isn't much of a, a national security risk to taiwan uh, ralph pointed out that anyone could watch this uh, so I, I i would like to see the media freedom organizations comment on this uh, but they're probably going to struggle with how to craft that message because they don't. They also obviously don't want to come across as uh, being too friendly to China either.
0: Yeah, I think the journalist associations will probably take a pass I, even if the Chinese reporters didn't do anything that's uh, politically upsetting or to destabilize Taiwan as an entity. I think just the fact that they're from there and the reputation that the media have in China is going to kill any sort of sympathy that you might find from the press clubs here or the international journalism advocacy groups
1: and moving on again, there were a couple of foreign affairs-related stories here in Taiwan this week. Firstly, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs admitted that it anticipated that Taiwan would not be among the countries exempted from the European Union's coronavirus travel ban, with Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Joan Oh saying that her office was aware Taiwan would not be among the countries exempted by the EU travel ban, as reciprocity is among the criteria for choosing the countries. And of course, European travellers are basically technically still banned from entering Taiwan. Now, on Wednesday, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced that Taiwan and Somaliland have signed an agreement to establish representative offices in each other's territory, with Foreign Minister Joseph Wu saying that he signed the agreement with his Somaliland counterpart on February the 26th when a delegation from the East African Territory visited Taipei. And apparently Somaliland's Foreign Minister held talks with President Tsai Ing-wen while she was here. So, Ross, Somaliland there, I mean... B- not not a country and an autonomous territory, one would call it.
2: I'd like to know if that delegation quarantined when they entered Taiwan, <laughs> just like other foreigners. have. Oh, they're they're diplomats, so maybe maybe they didn't have to quarantine. Uh, well, hopefully they took a, a, te- a neg- they had a negative test result for for the virus before entering Taiwan, like other foreigners are supposed to provide. Uh, but let, let's keep some perspective here, Taiwan. Has representative offices in, in dozens of countries around the world, from large countries like the United States to some very small countries in in Europe or, or Central South America. Um, so, setting up a representative office just puts the relationship the same. Way or the same platform that Taiwan has with with in numerous countries around the world. It's not diplomatic relations. Now, the unusual part here is, as as you mentioned, Gavin, that Taiwan is setting up a rep office in a place that is largely unrecognized. It is autonomous. They say they want to be their own country. Uh, the the obvious question to ask here, Gavin, is. Is, is the plan of this government, the Thai administration, to set up rep offices in other self-governing, unrecognized or only partially recognized territories around the world? We come up with a long list of these places in, in Central Asia, like South Ossetia and, and, and Abkhazia that broke away from Georgia. Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, which is an area in dispute between Arme- Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, Catalan, Uh, Transdenistra, uh, a portion of Moldova that's partially recognized. Uh, The list is lengthy, so it's it's unclear if that's what Taiwan's plan is.
1: There's also Puntland which is actually next to Somalia
2: land. Well, yeah, there, there's, there's uh, examples in, in East Africa and West Africa as well. There, there's an area called Western Sahara, which is partially recognized and does carry out diplomatic relations with, with a number of countries that have recognized it as, as an independent country. Uh, so, so, yeah, the, the list is long. Uh, it certainly would be a change in approach because Taiwan has generally not – Wanted to be associated with those kinds of places that are fighting for their, uh, literally or figuratively, fighting to be recognized because Taiwan's position has has been, uh, whether it came to your DPP, that we already are a sovereign country.
1: And of course, Ralph, that, that representative office, when it opens, will join one in Nigeria and one in South Africa. But the embassy, of course, is in East Sawanti. So it will basically be Taiwan's fourth overseas office in Africa.
0: Yeah, I was following this news for with what's quite, what's, uh, quite a bit of curiosity. First, I had no idea what this place was. And I had to look up its status and location because it sounds a lot like Somalia, the, the actual country. And I recall a few years ago that Taiwan was speaking with the Order of Malta, which is kind of a, not really a country, but it's, a, it's got sovereign status of some kind. They were talking about forming relations with them, but it didn't happen. Um, I think, like Ross said, the government here doesn't want to be associated with um, quasi countries or places that just don't have full international recognition because that would that would take away from Taiwan's um, advocacy of itself as a country. So, um, but the fact that they've got rep offices anywhere, anything new, and somebody's coming in here, Taiwan is going out and setting up a diplomatic mission of, of any sort, you know, real or virtual or quasi or otherwise, that shows that there's potential for expansion, Uh, and over the last 10, 15 years, all we ever hear about is diplomatic allies are leaving, and rep offices are being told to shut down, so this is something, it's like just a little bit of a, you know, like a little market correction there, where we're seeing a positive, and we might see more. Right, moving on.
1: And Ross, of course, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs said it anticipated Taiwan would not be included in the EU's coronavirus exemption. It, it, well, that's
2: a that's a great bureaucratic response. Right. So uh, so it says to to Bofa, well, you weren't
1: on the list. You know, everybody loves Taiwan.
2: Taiwan, we've got all this positive global media coverage for what you've done uh, to prevent the virus. Oh, well, we didn't anticipate being on the list anyway. I mean, that that's just kind of a, uh, you know, co- cover your backside response. Uh, clearly, there was disappointment uh, in. In Taiwan, whether government media public, uh, as I mentioned, because Taiwan is generally considered around the world to have done a, a good job uh, there 's this notion that the EU and Taiwan are supposed to have shared values Yes, yeah, that that phrase that people like to throw around uh, way too often I think, uh, but democracy freedom and we 're not China and China is is the country that gave us the virus uh, China's on the list uh, subject to. Uh, coming to some agreement on reciprocity issues, which EU and China are in the process of doing. Uh, so lots of disappointment on on, uh, on the part of Taiwan and spinning it is not going to change the fact that Taiwan was disappointed. But the, the issue really is reciprocity and that Taiwan uh, still has a, a number of bureaucratic uh, or, or practical things that foreigners have to satisfy before they could enter Taiwan. And the new EU guidelines for the countries that are on that list, uh, the, the foreigners entering from those countries do not have to fulfill the numerous requirements that Taiwan is still imposing on foreigners. Hence, Taiwan is not on the list.
0: I wondered about the reciprocity thing, and I, um, I haven't delved into this enough to know for sure whether... Um, Taiwan would be expected to open its borders to people from Europe at the same time. Um, and I, I don't think they're ready to do that. Um, the, the government here does not want to try to explain to its people that Europeans are going to come in. They're probably going to bring some COVID cases because it's just inevitable somebody will have it. Um, the, the public here is even scared when we have one new imported case in, in a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, it, it just isn't going to wash politically to have you know, five or 10 cases every couple of days brought in by somebody from Western Europe.
2: Then another, yeah. I was just sorry to interrupt you, Ralph, but but you know, wouldn't a better approach for Taiwan instead of saying, you know, instead of being disappointed and then saying, oh, well, we didn't anticipate it, would have just been to get out in front of it and say like, well, we're not participating in anyone's reciprocity, silliness, the the virus situation globally is still pretty bad. Uh, we're we're going to stay safe in our our Taiwan bubble.
0: Yeah, I think that um, Europe may have surprised not only Taiwan, but some other countries in the world by opening things so quickly for, for travel. And you look around Asia, nobody wants to be the first to raise their hand and say, let's, you know, let's, let's have tourism back and foreigners can, can freely come in and do what they used to do. So, yeah, I think Taiwan could have gotten out in front of it if they knew it was coming. Um, whether they knew that, um, anybody's guess.
1: We have to take a short break now, but we will be back after these brief commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week and the Dream Cruises operated Explorer Dream Cruise Liner docked in Lung this week as it prepares to be the first cruise ship to resume operations amid the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. The cruise ship will tour Taiwan's outlying islands and 538 crew members are now undergoing a mandatory 14-day quarantine to ensure they're not infected with the coronavirus. Now the arrival of the Explorer Dream comes after the government lifted a four-month ban on domestic cruise tourism and it's the first cruise ship liner to be allowed to enter the port here since February. So, Ross, do you fancy taking a cruise ship, liner, trip anywhere in the coming months, weeks, days?
2: Uh, I'm a big fan of staying on the land, Gavin, so I think I'll pass on, on the cruise ship. And I'm not really good at those, those activities that occur on cruise ships anyway, like, I don't know, shuffleboard and all, all those kinds of things you're supposed to do when you're on the ship, eating a lot. You know, it's just not my thing. Uh, but... Anything that will spark uh, spending on domestic tourism, uh, whether it's on the cruise ship or at the destination, Penghu or other offshore islands, uh, that's a positive. So uh, assuming that uh, the virus situation is is under control or the cruise ship has proper protocols to take people's temperature, uh, they have a protocol if somebody gets sick to isolate them, on the ship should that uh, occur hopefully it won't assuming all those things have been been uh, pre- uh, uh, prepared uh, then sure you know, it's it's a good idea unlike the the goofy aircraft thing
1: <laughs> i was going to get there in a minute in a minute calm down. <laughs> calm down calm down there ross so ralph i mean of course in the build up to the coronavirus being declared a pandemic we had these horror stories about cruise ships basically being like petri dishes for the coronavirus
0: Yeah, to answer your first question, I don't fancy taking the cruise. I think my face mask would fall in the water, and they'd probably send me after it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be allowed to continue the voyage. So I'm going to stay on land. Um, I don't think this is going to drive a whole lot of tourism, although Taiwanese are feeling pretty pent up, and they can't travel overseas. So maybe they will go from Geelong up to Mazu just because they can Um, I wouldn't be really convinced about an economic driver unless they open it up to some other places like Hong Kong and Okinawa, which, from what I can tell, are reasonably safe. But that involves, you know, lifting travel bans, and nobody in Asia really wants to do that. Um, I don't expect at this point that the ship will be a petri dish for the virus anymore. I think Taiwan knows exactly how to prevent these things, and people in Taiwan have a good reputation for doing a lot of self-prevention. So... I, th- I think it's unlikely that it would be, it uh, w- would reanimate the virus, but also unlikely that it's going to really put a lot of money into the tourism sector.
1: And of course, Ralph men- Ross rather mentioned it earlier. I mean, 60 people this week became the first to participate in a fake going abroad program, Ralph, when they went to Taipei's Sungshan Airport. They basically went to the check-in counter, they received boarding passes, they cleared immigration and security, and then they boarded a China Airlines A330 aircraft. But of course, the aircraft, Ralph, didn't leave the ground. So do you think this is tourism for you, mate, who just wants to stay on land?
0: I thought that was a brilliant idea. And it just shows how many people miss that that sort of activity. They like the whole routine of gathering in the airport and finding the tour guide with the flag, doing the check-in. I don't know why they like it. I think that's the worst part of traveling is, you know, from the the minute you get out of the the MRT to the moment the plane takes off. But I guess if people like it for nostalgia's sake, then it's good to know. That means that the tourism sector will be quite vibrant once it's really back in action. So
1: Ross, did you pop off to Sunshine Airport?
2: No, uh, uh, Sunshine Airport is not one of my favorite airports around the world. Although I do miss the travel experience, uh, I, I do like being in airports and looking at the board with with all the planes going to different cities uh, around the world. Um, but why don't they just build a like a theme park uh, attraction, right? With a with a shaking plane, simulate the the takeoff experience.
1: A shaking plane.
2: Well, like the turbulence. Well, turbulence or just the takeoff or or landing experience. uh, I think that would be a little more stimulating uh, uh, than than just sitting down and then standing up and getting off again.
0: Ralph. Yeah, I like that. They have a whole like you know global civil aviation theme park where nothing ever takes off. Yeah, some some would vibrate, some would tilt up and down. You gotta fasten your seatbelts, the same same old thing. You could obviously have a, you know, food and beverage service. Yeah, why not? Um, you know, get bored with the other theme parks out there.
1: But apparently when these people went to the airport, apparently they, they would they, they took they took suitcases and they wore their travel clothes. Well, uh, people
2: get really into it. It's like any kind of uh uh you know, thematic. Uh, activity you know some people are really into you know, dress up and, uh, especially in this this region uh, japan being more famous for that than than taiwan but you know people are, are really into that kind of activity so they 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 you know they went all the way they you know, brought their luggage they wore their their travel clothes uh, i guess they brought their pillows you know their neck pillows and they went all out
1: and apparently there the, the, the more people will be going on this program tomorrow and again next week so you get 60 people this week and then 60 people tomorrow and again 60 people on Monday.
2: Well I hope I hope nobody does a simulated you know barfing into the bag.
1: Yeah we'll leave that there I think thank you very much. <laughs> Anyway, going in a completely different direction, Interior Minister Xu Guoyong on Tuesday of this week announced that all police officers will soon be issued with stun guns or tasers as part of their standard equipment. Now, speaking at a graduation ceremony for police cadets in Taijiang, Xu said the tasers will be produced by September and issued to all officers, including those working for the railway and Aviation Police by the end of the year. Now, the issuing of non-lethal weapons is part of a government policy recently announced by President Tsai Ing-wen to help upgrade police equipment basically for serving officers now the policy is being implemented under a 480 million NT budget and the police equipment upgrades also include the purchase of virtual reality training simulators as well as new batons and walkie-talkies the standard equipment issued to regular beat cops here at the moment of course comprises of a handgun a body camera a bulletproof or a stab proof vest handcuffs pepper spray and a flashlight now the decision to issue tasers to all officers of course comes nearly a year after railway police officer Lee Chung Han was killed by a knife-wielding passenger on a train at Jai railway station. So police officers being issued tasers, or rather all police officers being issued tasers now, because some cities in Taiwan do already issue police officers with tasers, Ross. Uh, I don't think
2: the government has made the case uh, from a uh, cr- criminal justice perspective, management of crime, that this is necessary. Uh, crime in Taiwan, thankfully, is relatively low, notwithstanding that the periodic gruesome murder gets a lot of headlines but tasers wouldn't have helped you know gavin if i if i lose my temper and i i should get violent with you right now you know the police having tasers is not going to save you uh, so I, I don't think the government has made the case that this is really necessary and in fact the, the trend around the world obviously is 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 to uh, reexamine the weapons that police especially the the frontline police the, the police who are most immediately dealing with civilians. You know, the, this might be entirely appropriate for specialized officers, uh, officers who are called uh, to respond to you know, violent crime incidents, uh, incidents that are in progress. Uh, but uh, again, I, I don't think the government's made the case that the front every frontline officer needs to be carrying a taser. And you know, of course, there's inevitable issues about training and uh, guarantee you a few years from now we'll, we'll we'll be on taiwan this week talking about the very first incident where an officer inappropriately used a taser in taiwan
0: i wonder about this case because as ross pointed out there's not much need for that level of law enforcement in taiwan you see a lot of traffic stops and people are drunk people are moderate, moderate you know mildly violent sometimes but not very violent um, i wonder if this is a, a there's a procurement angle here. I imagine somebody made money selling the tasers, and will make a little extra money uh, along the pipeline between the buyer and the seller. As um, a lot of a lot of things in Taiwan work that way, so it could also be uh, for show. Um, it makes the police look stronger and mightier on their otherwise very short scooters. If they can uh, go about with with something with a taser on their body, I suppose so um everybody cares about how they look around here we got a the appearance and we got the procurement and think those those are the two angles most most worth analyzing
2: well i i thought they addressed the appearance issue when they changed from those what, what that awful what is it like a powder blue shirt to to the navy blue because it does make uh, the police look more authoritative uh, with with a darker uh shade as opposed to that somewhat pastel Uniform shirt that they used to wear. And, uh, so, uh, appearance wise, I think that they've already addressed uh, a big, big part of the problem, but Ultimately, again, I think the issue is the necessity or lack thereof and in the context of what, at least in democracies, whether United States or Western Europe, uh, police agencies are, are doing, this certainly is, is, a, is a very different uh, uh, road to take and the timing is peculiar given what's going on around the world with reexamining uh, how police are, are armed.
1: And before we go this week, giant panda Yuen Yuen gave birth to her second cub on Sunday at the Taipei Zoo after years of artificial insemination. The new female cub weighed 186 grams at birth and is currently being kept in an incubator. But the zoo says that the still unnamed baby panda is in good health and snacking down on her mother's milk. According to the zoo it will continue to assess the cub's condition before deciding on whether to return her to her mother's care. Yuen Yuen and her husband Tuan Tuan had they first born in 2013, and that cup was named Yuan Zai, which can be translated to mean rice ball or simply wee little round thing. And the big question now on everybody's lips, including Ross Feingold's, is what name the zoo is going to give to its new little panda? Well, the, the
2: the context to for that question, though, is that these were a gift from, from China uh, during the time of the Mayanzhou Guomindang government which was pursuing policies to have friendlier relations with China. Now, If we t- take a step back even earlier, China first proposed this uh, way back 2005 when Chan visited China and afterwards China made this offer and the government of Chen Shui Bian said no way, we're not going to uh, let the pandas in, it's all part of United Front tactics because you know those pandas, they could really brainwash the public of Taiwan. Uh, so the Chen Shui Bien government said no, Mayanzhou government said yes, and mom and dad, their name you names know, broadly could 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 be interpreted as uh, unification. You know, or, you know, we're all we're all going to be together. You, you know, tuan you know, uh in Mandarin uh, mean, means to you know basically get together, unify. Uh, so they named the the first first cub is kind of like little 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 one, little Yuan or little round thing, as you said. Um, I I think there are going to be a lot of recommendations for political names, and the Taiwan public will probably come up with some really creative. Uh, possibilities, uh, but something to connote that uh, Taiwan is not part of China. So I'll be looking for names like that. uh, Whether or not the the government actually accepts those names as appropriate for being included in the public vote, who knows.
0: Ralph, have you seen the pandas at the zoo? I've not seen them myself for years and years. My kids have been there on field trips, and they've seen them. So there's still, my understanding from them is they're still fairly popular attractions. As far as the name. I I imagine people here will come up with all sorts of wild ideas, political or otherwise. And at the end of the day, the zoo will choose something that's something like Xi Jinping, you know, just something that's neutral and feels good, but doesn't imply any kind of any bond to China or lack thereof
1: i mean ross do you think it'll bring new visitors to the zoo of course the panda is too small for most people to see at the moment but when it gets put in the cage or the, the enclosure i should call it
2: well typically they wait about six months make sure the the, the cub is healthy and so perfectly that targets with christmas so uh, assuming uh, and hopefully uh, uh, the little one is healthy it could uh, go into the enclosure be put on display Uh, Six months from now, Christmas time, so there's obviously be a lot of marketing around that, little dolls with with the panda wearing Christmas attire. So that's another thing to look out for as well. But whether or not there will be visitors, we have to consider all the social distancing and how many people could be in a public uh, place at the same time uh, if the virus situation is still a problem. And if it is next uh, winter when this craze will, will take over, uh, the the zoo going public uh then there is the possibility in the absence of vaccines that the virus will be raging again uh, unfortunately so that 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 is going to be something that the zoo authorities and the city government are going to have to manage very very carefully because uh yeah if past experience is a guide then then there's going to be extraordinary interest in the public in, in seeing the cub
1: and ralph do you plan to go to the zoo then
0: Um, I would definitely keep my social distance from the large bears. I might take my kids to the zoo to see the small one if uh, it all looks safe and legal and appropriate sometime six months from now.
1: And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And on the telephone by Ralph Jennings. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes or Android podcast apps, wherever you happen to get your podcasts, where you can get access to all our previous shows.